0: Liquid Courage, the podcast where I, Amanda Pereira, sit down with a fellow female artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Well, it is. So I use a little Liquid Courage in the form of their favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom these women have to offer. Today I sit down with Martha Stortz and enjoy some cold cans of White Claw. Martha is a writer, a long-form improviser, the founder of the Assembly Comedy School, and a woman I admire immensely. Hi, Martha. Hi, Amanda. Hi. <laughs> I'm so nervous to talk. I always get so nervous to talk to you. I don't even know why, because you're so nice, but I get very scared. Well, thank you. Oh, um, and also, I want to tell you, so we're drinking White Claw.
1: I've never had this drink before. You know, it's basically just a vodka soda, but it comes pre-made and I actually, I think the flavors are really well done. Like, I really like the mango one and it Ooh. generally, to me, it tastes like mango. Like, I would love if Perrier made, um, I mean, Le makes a mango flavor. Oh, they so do. yeah, I guess the same thing.
0: Okay, but
1: well, but this this like, I like it. It's yeah. convenient. <laughs> yeah.
0: I went and actually a really good sign is when I went to LCBO, it was, they were like almost all sold out. They had one mango and they had two black cherry, but then they had a ton of lime. And I was like, oh, don't get the lime. Like there's a reason that those are all there. So I got two black cherry and I haven't tried them yet. Cause I was like, I feel like I should wait till
1: Martha's on before I actually <laughs> try it. Um, I've been, Quietly in mine this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I fun would make is that, coming. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, fun is on its way. Um, okay, so I'm so excited to talk to you today. You, you, I'm putting this on you. This is my perception of you. <laughs> okay. Good. I I want to be very clear. You to me do so much, like so so much, and I want to talk to you about that. Um, and one of the things that you do that I am in awe of is you started and you run the assembly improv school, which is here in Toronto. Um, and now actually has a sister company in Mexico, which is like amazing, mm-hmm. um, here in Toronto. And so I want to ask you a little bit about the assembly first. Is that okay? For sure. Yeah, of course. Okay. Fabulous. So first of all, I wanted to know when did you start improvising and what attracted you to it?
1: Great question. So I moved to Toronto. So mm-hmm. I went to school in Waterloo. And then I did my master's degree at Western in London. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Toronto because I got a job here. And also my partner lived here. Um, so rent wise, it made <laughs> sense. <laughs> right. um, and then like, I, I lived here for a few months. And I was like, getting into the swing of things. And at the exact same time, my um, this guy that I knew, who um, was running this website, where it collected all the Groupons in one place. So like, this was like the height of Groupons, there was Groupon, <laughs> there was like Group By, there were like a bunch of other ones. And his claim to fame was making this website that um, aggregated all of them into one email. Mm. And it was called One Spout. And he was really into promoting it. So like, if we went to a club or something, he would give out business cards, and I had a business card for some reason, I was, I was also into it. Anyway, you right into it. <laughs> I drank the Kool Aid. Um, so, anyways, I was—it was a time where I bought a lot of Groupon's, and one of them was for Second City. <laughs> no way! You wanted to improv because of a Groupon? That's yeah. amazing. Amidst a bunch of like uh, sh- shady facials and like pedicures <laughs> and like weird unlicensed spots, like this was one oh that actually no. worked out. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think that was, gosh, that would have been maybe twenty twelve. Hmm. Yeah, and so I did level A, and it was I had a great time. I, it was taught by Carrie Griffin. It was really fun. And there was a cool gal in my level A class that I kind of got to be friends with, and she was like, oh my gosh, let's take level B together. And so we did, and we met this core group of people. The only person who's still improvising now is Philippe Dimas from Fake Cops.
0: Yeah. But we did
1: all of A to E together, and then we did all of long form together, and it was wow. just like a tight group of people people who are like super fun. And it was just like a fun time to hang out with them.
0: And so you finish long form program, you finish level E at Second City. And then what, mm-hmm. com- what comes after that? How do you then go to, hey, I want to start a whole
1: school? Oh, there were many years in between that. So yeah. while I was doing long form at Second City, I was also I also got to their conservatory program and I did that and it was really fun. Um, And I just kind of like kept doing improv. I got really into long form. So I took like my mm. first class at long form uh, in long form at second city. And I just like fell in love. It was everything that made sense to me. It was everything that was so much fun for me.
2: Mm. And so I kept
1: doing that. And so I auditioned for a long form alumni team as they were called at the time. And I made it onto one, which was so exciting for me. Mm. Um, kept doing it. Um, I ended up, uh, being the swing for second City's house co I did bad dog featured players. And then, um, right after that was over, uh, and during all this time I started producing shows too So I was producing the shows at Second City Like their long form shows mm-hmm. Which is also so much fun And then we found out that the long form program at Second City got cancelled yeah. So it was like a big time bummer We mm-hmm. are all super bummed out Because it was so much fun We had been growing pretty steadily Like The, the shows were so much fun um, And so we just kind of decided to keep on like Keep on going with long form um, it was kind of like the only place in the city for game based long form, like that specific method of doing it. Mm-hmm. So at first, we were just like, okay, well, let's let's keep doing some shows. And so we got um a you know a monthly show, and we were like, oh, let's keep having teams. And then there became this demand for classes. People really wanted to join it too. So we started having classes and then we started doing workshops and we started a festival. And it just kind of exploded. Is the experience of,
0: running at all what you thought it would be or how does it differ from what you thought it might be
1: um it's you know it's always so different from what I expected in this (laughs) even in the sense that I'm like okay so next month I'm going to do x y and z and it's Mm -hmm. nothing at all what I would have thought
0: really nothing is
1: ever no nothing is ever what you think it will be ever (laughs) (laughs) and what do you think that is? is it just like life happens or
0: is it that like like I I tend to over plan things or I will like I'll be a little bit too zealous and saying I'm going to do X, Y, and Z next month. So I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to write a feature film next month and start a podcast and do this. And then I just end up doing none of them because I'm too overwhelmed. Like, what do you think the factor is that makes it change so much? I think
1: it is life, like just random things that happen. So a lot, so much of the time um like with the assembly it it grew so quickly everything happened mm-hmm. so quickly that i'm just like okay so for this next year you know maybe maybe we will just maintain for a bit we won't do anything crazy and mm-hmm. then something will come up and we'll there'll be some kind of weird opportunity or like even for this mm-hmm. so we had kind of talked about doing a sketch program so mm-hmm. uh, basically for anyone so we've been a long form improv company for a very long time and then when uh this quarantine happened everything stopped it's very hard to do improv online, especially long form, because it's so collaborative. Mm-hmm. And so for a week, a week after the quarantine started, I was just like, okay, so I guess like we just won't have classes. And then it became apparent that we should have classes. Like, let's just pull the shoot on our, is pull the shoot the right t- thing to make it start? I'm, I'm imagining someone pulling a shoot on a hot air balloon with the fire that makes yeah. the fire go <laughs> up and make everything go higher. (laughs) Anyways, let's pull the shoot on this. Yeah, totally. Uh, Let's yeah, let's get the sketch program started. This was not in the plans for this month whatsoever. But we're like, okay, let's just do this. Let's do this is happening now.
0: Yeah. Great. And good for you for like seeing it's almost sort of like, okay, well we didn't plan it for right now, but this is the time to do it. So let's do Mm -hmm. it. I mean that, that takes like a lot of guts to just be like, okay, maybe we don't feel ready. But we're going to be ready because we have to be. So let's go. Yeah, exactly. Does that translate into your, I want to say personal life, but like into you as a person or into your own um, individual goals as well that you're like, okay, I might not be ready for this, but I want this
1: opportunity. So I'm going to go. Definitely. Like I am a very impatient person. <laughs> um, so very little of the time do I actually feel ready for whatever I'm doing. But mm-hmm. I think it really helps in like various areas of my life like so I do the assembly at night but during Mm. the day I'm um, a researcher at a law firm and so there's a so we all have our specialties Um, Mm -hmm. mine is medical other people are like competitive intelligence or something like that and sometimes there'll be something that that someone has to do that is nobody's specialty but I'm like I I don't really ever have a problem jumping into it because I'm like great like what a great excuse for me to not know anything and fuck this up a whole bunch <laughs> get to oh my god new. that's an
0: amazing way to look at it like well n- nobody will have an expectation that I'll be a guru at this so let's yeah. get in there
1: yeah and so many people are afraid to like there's so many people who don't want to do something new because mm-hmm. they they know they're gonna do a bad job And I'm like what a great excuse to do something new and like do a bad job and, and yeah. just yeah like, oh, I tried my best
0: you know, maybe it's recording these podcasts or therapy or I don't know, everything, but I've realized like, I'm okay to start something new and try something because w- when there's no expectations on me, but what I find hard is like, if I, let's say uh, they, let's say someone was like, oh, does anyone have this specialty? No, Amanda will raise her hand. Yeah. oh, I just referred to myself in the third person. <laughs> that was so gross. Um, but if someone said, hey, can somebody help me out with this? And I knew nothing about it. I'm happy to jump in. But it's like the second time they ask me, like, oh, hey, you were really good at that thing you didn't know. Could you do it a second time? That's where the expectation is there. And that's where I just crumble. And I find that gets in like, gets in the way with improv all the time, um, that as soon as sort of any reputation was being built, which like all of us get if you stick in it long enough, um, Once I didn't have to ask for stage time anymore, then I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this. Like, I'm terrified of doing this again.
1: Yeah, I know that feeling. And I feel like a lot of people have that where it's like, oh, now now there's pressure on us to do this a certain way or do this Mm -hmm. in this specific way or do this well. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Like, it's a hard place to be.
0: And I can't imagine. I mean, what's it like? Being somebody who is running a school, who's teaching classes, who's coaching. I mean, you've, you've you know, you've coached me for for many hours um, and helped me and made me better. So what is that expectation like for you or that pressure when you go and do a show, when you look out in the audience and a lot of those people are in your classes or
1: are like looking up to you to teach them? At this point, it's, so it's not bad for me. Mm-hmm. Just because I've kind of convinced myself or told myself like, it totally doesn't matter. Like, and also like the great thing about co- always telling other people this is mm-hmm. I've repeated it so much. Like you don't owe anybody anything. Like I don't owe mm-hmm. anybody a good performance. I don't owe anyone perfect game of the scene. If I'm gonna, if I wanna go and like do a set and make it the worst set ever, that's fine. And mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with that. So I've kind of got myself to that place, but I totally know what you're talking about. Like um, mm-hmm. one of the co-founders, Jeff Cork, um this is like such a funny thing because we had a conversation once I guess Mm. a little while ago where he was like I get so nervous performing in front of the assembly because like I'm worried that they will see me and they won't think I'm good they won't think I'm good enough to have me as a coach or or whatever and I was like oh that's well I don't really worry about this because this this and this and then Jeff said well Martha that's okay everyone laughs for you because they're afraid of you (laughs) (laughs) Which is just like the best compliment I've ever gotten.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. It's literally in my notes, Martha, to be like, listen, I'm terrified of you, but I also (laughs) adore you. So I know that it is so much of my own shit because I operate on this like, weird thing of like, everybody, please like me. And I want everyone's approval. And I want everybody to think that what I'm doing is the right thing to do. And I can't read you, Martha. So like, oh, thank especially... you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read funny. you. And like, honestly, I think it's actually in a weird way, like made me a better performer sometimes because when you're coaching me on a, on an improv team or at a cast or, um, I'll do something and I can't read whether you think I did a good job. And I'm like, I shouldn't be looking at her like a mom or like, you know, if my coach is a male, like a dad being like, oh my God, did you like that? Did I make you proud? And I can't read you. So half the time I'm like, well, I don't know. She might think I'm awful or she might think I'm great, but I can't read her. Do you get that a lot
1: that people can't read you? Yeah. Like I've been told, like I do have like a poker face or kind of like a cold exterior, (laughs) Um, which is maybe good. I don't know. It's funny because I I didn't see myself as that way. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm friends with it. Like I like everyone, like everyone's yeah. doing a great job.
0: <laughs> like your actions are always so generous and so kind and so thoughtful and considerate. Like you're the first one. If I show up at any like, celebration that the assembly is throwing you're the first one to come and give me free drinks or you're the first one to come and say like (laughs) welcome or you know so it's not ever yeah oh no no you have there's such a warmth and I think I like I found myself sometimes like chasing it like oh my god just make her happy oh my god I think I did it like she's smiling yes you know but I, I wonder like how do you think your close close friends would describe
1: you like people who know you best that's such a good friend such a good question um I don't know like I do am I yeah I'm not sure if I do have like um kind of that blankness out like inside Mm. but I I guess I feel like I'm kind of like goofy and like weird (laughs) but that's also part of like, my plain expression, if that makes sense, so I, like, I loved, I remember working at the, my workplace before this one, mm-hmm. Um, it took me a few months to make friends with people, because I do kind of have, like, this division of, like, work and friends, mm-hmm. Um, and so, but with that workplace, there were a lot of people my age, there were a lot of, like, cool people that were fun to hang out with, and I remember after we started being friends, they were, like, we were so shocked to find out that you were normal and had like a sense of humor because I always had this kind of stoic look on my face and I would say things with a stoic in a stoic way that were funny but they were just like who is this weirdo because I didn't say it with a smile or something like that <laughs> so I understand where it comes from but mm-hmm. I I guess it's just m- my mom is kind of like that too like everyone in my family has a super dry sense of humor mm-hmm. so did deadpan will, pan and exactly yeah. so like yeah. people will say like wacko things with a normal face and that's just that's just how we are
0: <laughs> uh, do you ever um, like I said, I feel like I walk around hoping like, oh, I want everyone to like me? And oh, and I I actually like I don't like that about myself. I would like that anxious neediness of people's approval to go away. And you just seem so cool and so calm and so collected <laughs> all the time. Um So this might seem like a really juvenile question, but I was genuinely wondering, like, do you worry?
1: about being liked? Or do you worry about people's approval? I'm so glad to have fooled you (laughs) because (laughs) I care deeply what other people think. Really? Uh, Well, I, you know, I, my greatest nightmare is hurting someone's feelings or making someone feel bad. So like there are times when people will tell me like, oh, Sometimes it'll be like months later, they'll be like, oh, when you said this to me, it actually really hurt me and it made me think about this. Or like people will sometimes give me negative feedback about something that I've done. And Mm. like that kills me. And it's hard to accept, especially Mm. if it's something where it's like, hey, you didn't know that you did this. Or like it's something where I thought everything was fine. I'm actually like digging the needle in deep to someone. So like that, that is, it's really hard for me. Um, It used to be a lot worse, but weirdly, something that made me feel better. Um, Mm. If I know someone hates me, I tend to take it uh, harshly, but Mm. sometimes if someone hates me, I'll Google and I'll think of someone who I love or someone who's just like a genuinely good person. So like Michelle Obama, and you can Google Michelle Obama sucks or something like that. And it's like, there's tons of people who hate this like wonderful person. So it makes sense. That, that person is wonderful and they have haters. So, of course, you'll have a few haters. So Oh, my God. Fine. That's yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah. I have never. Oh, my God. I've never heard that before. And that's actually incredible. Like, I would love to think of the most, like, angelic person I can think of. And then, I mean, it's sad that they would still have a page where people hate on them. But then you're like, all right. Well, yeah. If Michelle Obama has haters, like, I'm probably going to have
1: a couple. Oh, yeah. Like, I used to always Google, like, Amy Poehler sucks. Like, there's lots of people who don't like her. <laughs> How? Ew. Yeah. They should it... all go live on an island together. Yeah. So, it's like, it doesn't, like, no matter who you are, there's going to be people who don't like you. There's going to be someone who thinks you're not funny. There's someone who's thinks you're an idiot. But that's mm-hmm. just totally normal. It happens. Everyone has it. I sort of wish, I find the harder part is, like, I
0: sort of wish that I knew who those people were because I find, especially in like, maybe it's the acting community. Maybe it is specifically the comedy community. I'm not sure, but I feel like just in the entertainment community in general, everybody wants to save face or be kind to each other. And maybe it's also like, you don't want to piss off or offend the person who might in a month, be casting something that you're auditioning for or whatever it is, or be running a show or whatever. But I find like, everybody's just very nice. So I'm never going to know if somebody hates me. I almost would rather someone be like, Hey, I just don't like you. And then it's black and white. And I won't waste my time being anxious about it. You know, but I don't feel like we get that, especially in improv. I feel like everybody's just really nice to each other. So I just never know. Everyone could hate me and I'd
1: have no idea. But I don't think that people are like, nice to you and then secretly being like i fucking hate her like behind your back like people don't do that like if someone hates you they just will avoid you right that's what i assume people will do
0: actually yeah maybe they would avoid that's fair because i'm like i don't think they're going to be mean to my face but maybe they would just avoid me
1: yeah and i really think like do people have a lot of haters generally i don't think so like when i think about who who would i hate like there's there's no one i hate yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can't really think of anyone in the community that I hate. Like, even if we got, like, a group of 10 people randomly chosen in one room and be like, hey, guys, who do you hate? <laughs> no one would be like, oh, <laughs> let me bring out my list. Oh, my God. I've been making this for years. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think it's just
0: in my head that, like, yeah, I don't know. I sell myself this, like, line of, like, nobody likes me. Everybody. Make them all, like, you have to, you have to prove to them that you're good enough. And it's, like... This is stupid. I don't know why. Because then the dumb thing is that I'm never actually myself with anybody. And so mm-hmm. then it defeats the per I might as well just be at home. Like, why am I there if I'm going to be like a ghost of myself hanging out in my head? It's just stupid. yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's. I crazy. know that feeling, though. Like, that feeling of, like, must make everybody happy. Okay, everyone likes me. Great. That's checked off my list. I can sleep well tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back at it tomorrow.
0: Well, yeah. and I feel like mine, my people pleasing and wanting people to like me and also like wanting to be fair to everybody would be in overdrive. If I was in your position where I'm like in charge of people's stage time or them getting into a class or, or a cast or, you know what I mean? Do you, I mean, what's it like to be in charge of so many people who
1: are like also your peers? For the most part, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Occasionally, it can suck. So like there, there are times when people get really mad about something small, Mm -hmm. like getting into a class or stage time or something like that. And then, but the nice thing is that this is an improv company. It's not like a healthcare company. It's Mm. not a situation where I'm deciding, you know, who gets insulin this month. Um, (laughs) it's like, Oh, Oh shit. You didn't you, this class all that you didn't get into it. Sorry, bud take a different one or like yeah wait a few months I'm sorry because there was one time like early early on when I was still like caring super hard and like trying to make everyone happy there was like this time when our one-on-one classes sold out super quick what a great feeling for me and then this guy like just like attacked me online for like hours just being like this is so fucking unethical yada yada and I was oh like my god. freaking out I'm like what do I do and I remember talking to Peter Stelmack about it and I was like I don't mm-hmm. know what to do this guy is like won't me like won't stop and he's like oh my god improv classes are not a human right and I was just like what a great way to think about it you're right it is not a human right like yeah you didn't get into classes I'm very sorry I'll give you a discount uh you can I'll give you a free workshop um I'll come coach your team for free like whatever uh but that's all I can do. And that's all I really should do. Oh my God. And even when
0: you're listing that, I'm like, you, I'm thinking you don't even need to do that. They didn't get into a class. There's lots of times where classes fill up. What do you yeah. like, you know? And it, you're right. It's a great thing. And if I'm, if I see that a class fills up, okay, awesome. Even more of a reason for me to sign up the next time it comes around or sign up sooner.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's funny that you say like, like what can I do? Can I give you credit? And then you listed, I'll come coach your team for free. And I think like, how do you have time to offer that? Like, I just, I think, I know you mentioned you have a full-time job during the day. (laughs) You write for Buzzfeed, you run an improv school, you're performing, you're, you're teaching improv, you're coaching improv. Like I know you have, you mentioned like you have a long-term relationship, you have friends, you have family, like, and yet when you were coaching the improv team that I was on, you were you had such great
1: availability like how do you do that I don't understand how do you have time for everything um I mean I use my google calendar religiously yeah so everything is scheduled I know when everything is happening I don't miss it um <laughs> yeah I guess I just i schedule my life i don't i guess i before this quarantine I didn't have a lot of downtime mm-hmm. um but it's all doing stuff I love so it doesn't feel like i'm Like running myself into the ground or anything.
0: Mm -hmm. I just realized I asked you the question of like, hey, woman, how do you have it all? I'm like, (laughs) ew, I'm going to barf. And not in that way is that I feel like I will agree to do a lot of things that individually I love them all and I enjoy all of them. And then I just find it's like a cycle. I'm so excited. So I sign up for all these things and then I get exhausted and I, I like ping pong. I can't find the balance between feeling like I'm not doing enough and feeling like if I sit for 10 minutes, I'm going to be behind in everything. Like when do you feel the most run down or like overwhelmed with the amount that you have in your schedule?
1: That's a really good question and something that I was kind of thinking about mm. because I I don't mind doing things. Like I don't mind doing the bookkeeping, showing up to shows, warming a team up. Like my mental energy is taken when I have to think about something or like make a big decision. Mm. So like that's when I'm like, oh my god, I feel overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Or like if if something's not really going well, so I don't know what a situation like if if um someone's giving me negative feedback or like a a faculty members being really hard to work with like that requires very little of my time it's literally someone just being annoyed with me but it takes up so much of my energy because I'll Mm. think about it and I'll be like brainstorming ways to make it work or like uh, trying to find fault with this person or something like that (laughs) so like that's the thing
0: Mm. so I guess when it's like more emotional energy put into it yeah yeah or I mean I guess it sounds like when you're worried that you hurt somebody's
1: feelings yeah. Kind of too. Or like I'm trying to find out where they're coming from. Like that takes a lot out of me. Mm.
0: And do you find that that goes into like personal relationships as well? Like if you're um, with, a, like, with a friend or
1: or with your partner or something, those are the times when you feel the most stressed as well? Oh, absolutely. Like if, if I'm in an argument with someone like oh, over something rational, that mm-hmm. takes nothing out of me because I get it. But if someone like out of nowhere snaps at me, Like that will take years off my life because it's like, Mm -hmm. I have to figure out why are you feeling this way? Like, why are you lashing out at me? Um, And because I don't know what they're doing, I can't help them. And it's, it just, ugh, it's a cycle. It's a cycle, yeah.
0: And is all of that processing that you're talking about, is that going on in your head? Or is that like, now I have to talk to them and ask like, where are you coming from? What's going on? Oh, all in my head. All in your head, yeah. So why, why is it like, I guess, why do you see it as your responsibility? And I'm, I'm asking that because I do this exact same thing. So I'm wondering, like, where where did you,
1: yeah, why do you take that on as your responsibility to figure out? That's such a great question. Like, I truly don't know. There are so many times that I'm just like, well, I could just let this go. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. I will not. I will mm-hmm. figure out what's wrong with this person mentally. So I can get on <laughs> with my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I want everyone to be happy. And if, I feel like if I understand someone, then I can Appropriately deal with them. Like Mm -hmm. for me, knowing someone's love language is key in working Mm -hmm. with them. Or like it's so great to be able to understand what is precious to someone because, oh, this is great. Now I know how to reward you. Mm -hmm. You know, like for some people, if they've a job well done, you know, they want extra cash. Some people want like a really kind email. Some people want free drinks or a gift, you know. So it's just. Oh, love that it's, yeah it's so do you know what your love language is oh yeah so mine is words of affirmation Aww. so I by default I if if I want to give love to someone it's like I'll send them a nice email I'll tell them what I really thought of something or yeah just give them a really big compliment
0: mm-hmm. do you um does your partner know what their love language is do you,
1: have you guys like figured out what both of yours are so every time I've done so, also when when the the assembly started, the mm-hmm. two gentlemen that I started with, Jeff and Spencer, I was like, "Here we go! You guys are taking the Myers Briggs and Love Languages." And I was like, <gasps> "My partner, I love you." I was like, that's you amazing. should do it too." Yeah. Okay. Every man that I've seen take the Love Languages quiz, they're like, "Oh, overwhelmingly, it's physical contact."
0: <laughs> I just think like
1: every boy is horny. I don't know if that's true. I have a small sample size. <laughs>
0: oh uh, yeah my n equals three. Oh my god so <laughs> so physical contact and then words of information it really is so interesting like before I had even heard of the love languages and there's like a book with like a quiz at
1: the end right is that the yeah part, is that the full quiz that you take in the book I don't know I've only done the online version
0: oh maybe there's more because in the At the back of the book, I remember taking it and being like, I don't know, maybe I need it to be longer. Again, I was just like doubting myself. But um, it is so interesting that like you, I mean, I guess the basic principle, like if, if I was speaking to you in my love language, if it was like gifts and I was like, Oh my God, Martha's so friggin' awesome. Like I want to show, I want to communicate that I love her and I appreciate her. So I'm going to give her a gift. If your love language is words of affirmation, you probably, you might not even feel it as much as I meant to versus if I say it to you, I may not feel it, but you'll feel it more. It's just amazing. I think it's so cool. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's such a good tool. And I had never thought about it. Um, in terms of, like, in the context of business partners, I actually think that's so smart to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sucks because both of them were like, yeah, physical contact. I was, was going to like, say, okay, but what there's if There's no can... point of this. There's
0: no point <laughs> yeah, to this. You yeah. did it wrong. <laughs> I was going to ask, like, but once you find out Spencer and Jeff's love language is physical contact, like, <laughs> how does that, like, yours is great. You set them up great to be able to, like, affirm you and make sure you guys are working together. But yeah, there's not so great. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this emphasis on being um, like considerate towards others or taking care of others, making sure that um, almost that, you know, where they're coming from without them even needing to tell you, is that something that started when you were a kid? Like, I'm curious where it came from or where you learned it.
1: I think so. Like um, my mom is so nice and like, so caring of other people. Mm. Like she's the kind of person who has never been without like a volunteer position like growing up Mm. I always thought it was normal that everyone had a job and a volunteer job or sometimes two or three Mm. um and she's like just so kind and helpful to people like I remember even being a kid and like seeing other kids or other like girls with their moms and like their moms would be like annoyed that they had to drive them somewhere or something. Meanwhile, mom, my mom would like drive me wherever and then be like, "Hey, if you feel uncomfortable, say that you're not allowed to do the thing and call me." Like she would always Aww. say, "Like use me." She'd always be like, "Yeah, feel free to throw me under the bus, you know. If yeah. if you don't want to do something, you can just say that your mom won't let you." Like she's uh. just such a caring person.
0: Mm-hmm. My mom did the same thing. She would say the same thing, like. I'd say, Oh, I don't know if I should go to this party. Like I'm really tired. Like this birthday party I should say, okay, say that you're grounded. <laughs> and like, and it, and it was so sweet. And I remember growing up though. And at a point I was like, I can't say that my mom won't let me anymore. Now I have to just say, I don't want to, how do I do that? <laughs> yeah. Like, how do I just start being my own mom? <laughs> it's just like, so strange. Do you find that you also extend that same expectation on other people? Like, do you expect your friends to know where you're coming from or figure out where you're coming from as well? Or is it like a one-way street?
1: I think I do, in some ways, assume that they'll make the same like mental gymnastics as I do. Yeah, so yeah. So it can be frustrating <laughs> when they don't. And so mm-hmm. I do have to like constantly remind myself to be telling people like, oh, actually when you do this, it reminds me of this, or I'm seeing it through this lens. Mm-hmm. So that's why. You know, this that's why I feel this way.
0: Yeah. I know it's so I'm constantly having to remind myself, like, what is my emotional responsibility in this interaction? Is it my responsibility to like give them empathy right now? Or should it's like how much am I on my side and how much am I on their side right now? And it it's gotta be around fifty-fifty because some cause often it's so off. It's like 80-20 and it just feels awful. Yeah. Ugh. So I would love to ask you a little bit about your relationship. Is that okay? Of course. Okay. So um, I very much identify with you in that we both have um, long-term serious partners, but neither of them are in the like art scene or the improv scene. And I wonder, I mean, I feel like you do 10 times the amount as I do, and I am always exhausted. So I don't know how you do that still. Um, but I'm wondering, how is it juggling I don't mean schedule wise I mean how is it juggling your like emotional priorities to either one I find it really hard to make sure that like I'm, I'm always worried that I'm not making my partner feel like he's a priority and that I care about him as much as I do because he's always like being so wonderful about yeah yeah no problem you have a show that night or like oh yeah yeah like you're filming or oh, you're going to go do a podcast in the closet. Okay. I won't go to the bathroom or make noise for an hour and a half, like as he's doing, and I'll make dinner afterwards, whatever. So I guess I wonder how it, what's the experience like for you?
1: So overall, it's been really good. Mm -hmm. Um, So when, when we both kind of started our adult lives, um, my partner, Paul was super, super busy. So he's, Mm -hmm. um, he's an engineer and he, works long hours and then also um when i think when actually when i first started improv he was also he was doing a masters degree at the same time
0: oh my god so
1: it was like working like 80 hours a week doing a masters degree busy boy um wow. so he's always kind of been one of those people who spends a lot of time at work like going and getting it like not really stopping until he's achieved like whatever the thing is mm-hmm. so basically Like, there have been times where it's been, like, why are you spending so much time doing improv? Or, like, why are you spending time on comedy? But just, like, reminding him and, like, reframing, oh, this is not just a hobby. This is my career. So I'm Mm -hmm. working right now. Like, in the Mm -hmm. same way, um, like, would, if you were dating an articling student or, like, a a new lawyer, would you be like, hey, why are you going to the office so much? It's just Mm -hmm. your career. Like, no one would say that to that person. So why would you say it to someone who is doing a different type of career.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And did you always see it as, once you started improv, did you see it as like, oh, I want to do this as a career? Or did it start as a, I, I know in the first couple classes, maybe it was like a fun um, thing to do that you saw at Second City, but when did it sort of become a career for you?
1: I think when the assembly started is when it yeah. kind of changed over. So it yeah, became I mean, something, yeah. yeah. Like, so even now it's like, it. it's definitely work. <laughs> it's work yeah. in like a million different ways. So yeah, like 100% if you consider everything else that we see categorized as work as labor, then this is certainly labor.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Oh yeah. And and for sure I mean I think it makes sense once you like start a school. You're like, yeah, I guess this is a career now. I guess like so. this isn't just a yeah, casual sure. hobby of starting this. What would be the um like the ideal Professional dream? What does that look like for you? Does it still include what you're currently doing at your day job? Does it include writing for BuzzFeed? Like, what is like the dream, do you think?
1: I mean, I think it's what I have right now. Like, Mm -hmm. I really like doing my day job. Like, I like doing research. That's something that's like I went to school for. It's something I really enjoy. I like getting paid. (laughs) That's a great part of it. (laughs) Um, But I also love, like, I like doing improv. Like, I love performing. I love. Teaching, I love coaching. I love running a school. So, like mm-hmm. right now, I really love everything I'm doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you ever see yourself just doing improv and this and and running the school, or do you? I guess do you value more like getting to do a bunch of different things?
1: I really like doing a bunch of different things. Like, I think the yeah. hard thing is when you do one thing, it puts a lot of pressure on that one thing. So, like mm. if if I was only doing the assembly, I think every time. I like ran a class or like had a show, the stakes would be so much higher for me. Cause I'd be like, okay, if this fails, then I'm done. <laughs> or like, mm. this is a, you know, this is a reflection on me or like my paycheck depends on this. Whereas I can kind of do it. And if I screw up, it's not really a big deal. And if the company doesn't do well or like if a, someone's mad, like it doesn't really matter. And similarly, like at my day job, like if I fuck up or something, I can always be like, well, fuck this. I'm going to go <laughs> from my improv school. <laughs> God, that's so interesting.
0: Well, because that makes so much sense. And I hadn't thought about it. I'm like, I because yeah. I mean, I'm I group like I'm an actor and I group improv, of course, into performing. It's a performative art. And so I look at all of it as one sort of entity. And I feel so much frickin pressure on all of it, especially because the day jobs that I'm doing, I mean, I love the people, but like, I don't want to be serving, you know, thank Mm -hmm. God. I love my coworkers. Like, I don't know how I ended up striking gold with my managers and my coworkers. Like, I don't want to be serving tables. So there is so much pressure on acting to be like, okay, make this a career, like stop having to do other things for money. And maybe that's just too much pressure. I'm thinking about, um, I think it was like Kaylee Cuoco who said this. I might be saying that name totally wrong. I actually think that's right. Is it? Okay. Cuoco, Kaylee yeah. Cuoco. Yeah. From Big Bang Theory. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was her. Hollywood Reporter does these like great roundtables on YouTube and like they're so fun to watch. And she was saying, so I guess she grew up doing, and like, this is no fact check. This might all be wrong. But she grew up doing competitive um horse racing and like horse jumping And she said that it saved her so many times because if her acting career was tanking at the time, she could go and just work harder in her, like, equestrian journey. And then if she kept losing in horse jumping, then she could go and, like, work on acting stuff. And so it made her, it kept her sane. And I don't think I have any hobbies. Like, I don't think I do anything outside of trying to make this work. Yeah, like I feel like that would be so much pressure on yourself. Yeah. Do you have any hobbies? Like, do you have anything that you do for fun that has no
1: productive
0: aspect to it? Wait.
1: No, yeah. That it, doesn't make uh, sense. Does does that doesn't make no sense? sense, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I'm just trying to think of trying to think of them. Um, I mean, I guess writing is something where it doesn't really have a productive quality in the sense that I don't make any money from it really mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so th- definitely that that is great but th- mm. that's kind of another thing like so like I write for blog to I write um club reviews but I think mm-hmm. if, if it was my full career and I was like okay if the editor doesn't like this then I don't know where, if I'm going to keep this job I feel like it would be really really hard mm. um yeah so I yeah. just like now it's like I write as though I want I want to get fired after this like I hate <laughs> it so much I get fired <laughs> Um oh my god. A great strategy to have. That's um, amazing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Martha, um, did but, I uh, say you work for I just realized did I say you work for BuzzFeed and you work for Blog
1: Yeah,
0: but no worries. <laughs> no, you write you write for Blog No, yeah. I totally fucked that up. Okay. okay. My bad. I'm so sorry. Um, I love that like the the fact that you have such like gutsiness, because I even remember as a coach, like you saying, as you said earlier. I remember in a coaching session you said to us like just decide if you want to go out and decide that this show I'm gonna bomb I'm just gonna do really bad improv tonight like the show is yours and taking back that ownership Mm -hmm. and or even what you said like I'm gonna I'm gonna write as if they're gonna fire me after this article like where do you did you always have that like sense of it comes across to me like it's a sense of confidence in yourself or like faith that everything is going to work out. Like what? Yeah. What makes you able to do that? That's a stupid question. Cause how are you going to answer that? But no, I like, know. That's a good
1: question. I want the I, recipe. I, so I think, I don't know if it, it came from Gordon Neal, but I think it was it either came from him or was influenced by him. Cause we got into this mm. pattern of, of being like, Hey, do you, are you nervous for the show? Yeah. Let's make them regret inviting us. So then we would always do a set where it's like, hey, let's make them regret inviting us. Let's make them never invite us back again. And then I, I was like, oh my God, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> so it just kind of extended everywhere. Like, let's make, like go to a party and make them, and have the most fun. Like be that person who gets so drunk, they regret inviting you. Or like, oh. you know, like. There's something so exciting about that, like sort of like shit disturber attitude, you mm-hmm. know, of
0: like, let's just fuck this up. I mean, really what I, what it, What I take from it is it's just like, hey, let's take back the power. Like, yeah, we were invited to do this show, but we agreed to do this show. And especially in improv, I try try so hard to constantly remind myself, like, I'm paying to be at this show, essentially. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. not being paid to perform. And I could have picked up a shift at work. So, and I, you know, even if it's just I paid to take the subway here, I'm paying to be here. So like, I better enjoy it. Or why am I here?
1: Exactly. And it's not like you, like even when we say like, hey, let's make them regret inviting us on the show. It's never like we go up and we're like, Doing offensive material or like not doing it. It's literally just a little reminder, like, hey, let's have the most fun we can. And then it ends yeah. up being a much better set than us just like waiting on the sidelines and being like, am I going to do push pull? No walk ons. uh Make sure to say the right thing at the right time. Did I hate to attend? Great, blackout line. Sweet, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. No, no. Yes, I now I see what
0: you're saying. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, in no way am I thinking you and Gordon are like, Let's go make everybody cry or like whatever. Although no, that could be like, really fun. Like, I mean, hey, maybe you're making them cry of laughter. Who knows? Yeah, true. <laughs> well, that would be awesome. Were you like, um, were you a big
1: risk taker as a kid? I think in some ways I was. I'm trying to think mm. about things that I did. Like, kind of. Mm. Um I didn't like there weren't a lot of risks to take. Like I grew up in Guelph, which is like a quaint mm-hmm. little city. Um Yeah. Yeah, my dad so lived like, in Guelph. Oh. So I lived, I grew up, do you know that big church? Yeah. Beautiful. I grew up, yeah. Two blocks away from that.
0: No way. Oh my God. Yeah. I've driven past that so many times. That's so funny. Yeah. <gasps> Oh my god! Well, if I'm ever going to Guelph and like I'm driving, if you ever yeah. need a ride, Thanks. I think you ha- I think you guys have a car, and I don't. I'm offering my partner's car or my friend's car. But like, well, maybe hey. you can get a
1: ride with me, or maybe I'll get. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: Exactly. Then I'll get a ride with you. Um, okay, coming back from some confidential information, I'll cut that out so <laughs> that we don't hear where our families are currently living. Um, in what areas do you think you did take risks when you were growing up? Like, I know you said there's not many risks to take, I guess, for me. Maybe this just speaks to how, like, afraid I am of everything. Um, but I'm even thinking, like, oh, I want to be friends with them, so I'm going to go introduce myself. Or, like, oh, there's a program in school that I want to apply to, but it's hard to get in. I'm going to apply. You know, even small, like, daily things, do you feel like you went after what you wanted because you wanted it? Oh, yeah, like,
1: 100%. Like, I was um, – <laughs> you know, how like, I don't know if every – kid does is like this but do you remember being a teen and having the most confidence oh
0: my god because I feel like
1: I remember <laughs> being like a, like a, you know those emo teens where it's like mom you don't understand and just yeah. like being like yes this is the correct way to act or like just doing like <laughs> weird shit and just being like this is fine like I remember me and my best friend shared a locker in grade 10 and we glued toonies to the floor around it so to see people like try and get them up like not thinking like hey you might get in trouble for this but I remember like always just like doing like shitty little things like that and just like never thinking about the consequences so in that sense yes and I always of course was like trying to uh I don't know like talk myself up or like I remember in grade six, I'm just like I wrote a shitty poem. I'm like, I'm gonna enter this in a contest or like (laughs) weird stuff, like like assuming like yeah, of course I'll do this, like of course I'll get this.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Like I, I don't know how I went through my teenage years being like, don't get in trouble, don't get in trouble. What does everybody need? Give them everything they need. Like I feel like I walked around on hyper alert, afraid of doing anything I still have like an authority complex that like if somebody is my teacher or something I need their approval and I don't want to do that because your way of growing up sounds so much more fun and what I'm curious about is like so I feel like I sort of was crippled by my obsession with being considerate to others and like everything I did I was like calculating how that would make other people feel And so I lost so much sense of play, like any sort of pranks on people, any, any sort of like, I don't know, like jokes towards people. How do you think you were able to balance like really prioritizing being considerate to others and then still allowing yourself to have fun and pull pranks in that
1: way? I think as a kid, that's challenging because you're an idiot. Like, you (laughs) do know, like I remember also being in like university and like, First year university, um, everyone had MSN then because nobody had a phone. It was right before everyone got phones. And so I remember like going into this boy's room and just adding my sister to his MSN messenger and talking to her and being like, I know all these things about your life and like telling her address and, like, the cars that were parked there. And, of course, she had no idea who this guy was. And she's, like, freaking out. And I'm just, like, this is hilarious and just, like, didn't do anything about it. And, of course, she was furious with me when she Uh, found out it was me, which makes uh, sense. That's not something I would ever do now. So, like, now I feel like you can prank, you can play, you can do whatever you want, but you have to include the person in on your fun or, like, clue them in towards the end or at whatever time. Like, make them laugh with you.
0: Yeah, make them laugh with you instead of laughing at them. Yeah, totally. Oh, so I mean, it almost sounds like, I don't know, to me, it sounds like when you were growing up, you already had such a sense of play and like already such a sense of humor that did you did you always want to get into comedy? Was that always something like even before Second City, maybe not improv, but did you watch SNL? Or did you like watch? I don't know, just comedies in general and want to get into entertainment in some way?
1: Honestly, no. (laughs) Like I, (laughs) I never, I, I haven't seen a lot of comedies in the way like that other people have. Like I've never watched Friends. Mm -hmm. I've never watched Seinfeld. I never really watched SNL. Um, Like in university, my roommate had like Will Ferrell on DVD, but that's about as far as it goes. Like I've never seen Kids in the Hall. Like before. University, I was really obsessed with music. I was like a real music person. Like, I played Mm. a bunch of instruments. I was super into it. I went to university thinking like maybe I'd do a minor in music or something. And then I just, um, I found other things that I kind of like better and kind of dropped that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I never really was super into like the performing arts or comedy or like Mm -hmm. I've never taken a drama class or even like writing. Like, I've never really been like that was kind of more my sister's thing.
0: Hmm. Do you ever feel, um, do you ever, f- I don't want to put a word like, I always worry that I'm going to go out on stage and a performer or like a comedian is going to make some reference of something and I'm not going to get it. and I'm going to feel like an idiot. So is it ever, I don't know, nerve wracking Feeling like, oh, I haven't seen all these shows that people are, like, referencing. Also, a bunch of the... Some of the stuff you were saying, like, I've never seen kids in the hall. And that's something, as I'm saying it, my hands are sweaty. And I'm worried that people are going to be like, and you want to be an actor? No, no, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like I've been around boys enough that I know the best of. Like, I know all (laughs) the best jokes from kids in the hall because I've met a boy before. Or, like, I know the funniest (laughs) things from... Like, anything that someone would reference, like, I have an idea. But if someone's going for, like, the deep cuts of Friends on an improv stage, I'd be like, this, like, this isn't good (laughs) if I find anything. Yeah. yeah. It's not good. Oh, okay, now I know.
0: Because I do know deep cuts of Friends, but honestly, my vocab is, like, very small. It's, like, Friends, like, mockumentary comedies and probably reality TV. Like, that's all I have going for me.
1: Yeah. But and I don't, don't think know. that's a big deal. I mean, like, not knowing a pop culture thing, like, you can always just make the choice to be someone like, oh, actually, I was raised in a cult, which is, you know, 10 times more interesting than whatever dumb Seinfeld joke they're making.
0: Yeah, oh, it's so true. It's funny, actually, I, I got, um, I got asked to do this. This was years ago. I got asked to do this Star Wars themed show on May 4th, which I didn't realize till closer to was like, may the fourth be with you that I felt like a dumbass. And I got asked to play Leia. And I didn't know who else was doing the show, but I was just like, sure. And it was an improv show. We were going to make everything up on the spot. And the show was structured in a way that it was sort of like a whose line is it anyway? But then they put on, so they had short form games you were doing, but then they would also get a suggestion. And we were supposed to like reenact the first movie through the show. It was, I don't know. I found it very difficult. I was very stressed. Referential improv fucking terrifies me. Um, And I think it's when it's done well, it's like I'm in awe. But it was the scariest show I remember. And then I found out the people who were on it were incredible improvisers who were like my teachers, like Jason DeRoss, Adam Cauley, like some of these, you know, Liam Murphy, like some of these people I was like, you just taught me yesterday and now I'm supposed to be your equal on stage. I spent six hours watching the first Star Wars movie texting oh my God. a friend yeah I would pause and I would text um my friend Sam Polito I think you know Sam too oh yeah yeah uh, yeah Sam so I would text Sam and be like I don't understand like he just said this thing what's going on and he would bless him he was texting everything but I was trying to make because I've gotten that advice before and I tried to make the the choice of like okay I'm Princess Leia but maybe I have amnesia like I don't remember everything it was the most I bombed so hard that whole show. I think I got one laugh and I went home being like, that's my trophy. That's my one laugh. Like, oh my God, it was so hard. Ugh. What do you find is, what like type of scene do you find is the least enjoyable or like the hardest to
1: do for you? That's such a good question. Um, I don't know. For one, it's been like a million it feels like a million years since I've been in a scene. I know. I wonder if I can important. even improvise anymore, honestly. <laughs> like, what is that? I guess a scene where I don't know what's going on. Mm. Like if some, like, if it's all over the place or there's something that I missed or like I have one idea in my mind and someone else has a different idea.
0: Mm. I, th- I guess
1: any, any scene where like I'm not connected to my scene partner is really, really hard. Yeah. And what are your favorite
0: scenes? Like what are your favorite kind of scenes to do?
1: I guess anything other than that like anything that's really fun (laughs) enjoyable uh you know I love I love a technical game of the scene scene I love something that's organic and weird I love anything that that's just like something I've never seen before Mm -hmm. but sometimes it can be really fun to have an awful scene and just fuck
0: it up how do you find the fun in that teach me how 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 can I find the fun in like in that kind of situation
1: well, so this—that's also a great question. And another thing that I've learned from Gordon Neal, honestly, if mm. you have the chance, take a class at Sweet Action Theater. It will change your life. Mm. Um, so he does this thing where he like checks in with the audience. So he'll do something to zero laughs. People hate it, and he looks at people in the eye and does more of it. <laughs> and sometimes you get to the point, you get to that loop where it's this is so they hate it so much they love it. Sometimes they don't, and that's great too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you just keep keep being like alright you hate this I'm just gonna keep doing it more I guess it's that confidence and conviction like yeah you know it's like I'm gonna look you in the eye and be like I don't care if you're gonna laugh or
1: not because yeah, I'm exactly. in control. and oh. it's also like so I remember he also explained this to me because I've asked all these questions to him like mm-hmm. how do you do this I want to do this too um, and he was saying like when when you play with the audience and recognize that and the audience recognize that you're playing with them it opens up something completely new so it's like a totally different experience of playing with the audience instead of for the audience and oh, I love that yeah it's, with it's really them fun instead of for them yeah it's it's such a different experience
0: yeah it really is oh this makes me like well I mean I guess lots of things but I'm just excited to get to watch shows again. I know that are that <laughs> are, are live. <laughs> I mean, Netflix is great, but yeah, I'm excited for live shows. Um, okay, so I I really appreciate that you, or I really admire that you seem to be a person who like just seems so secure in yourself and somebody who isn't overly needy for everybody's approval, which, you know, I know you said you're, you know, that you seem to be fooling everybody, but I guess I'm curious whose, whose approval is the most important to you?
1: Oh man, that's, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I guess like maybe my family, which mm. is so, cause okay. So uh. Let's look behind the curtain. So I'm also very scared of, like, my family, I guess, I don't know what it is. Like, my family's, like, really tough. Like, everyone's really, really nice, but it's also, like, this standard of, I've always kind of felt like I come from the type of place where it's, like, you have to be this or, like, you have to be as good as this. So truthfully, like, my family doesn't really know about the assembly. And they only have a limited understanding of improv that I do. Because it's, like, I do have this, like, insecurity about, like, not being enough. So wow. I guess yeah, I guess my family.
0: And how can you? Okay, so when did you start the assembly? What year?
1: Let's see, what year is 20, Sorry to sorry 20, to put you on the spot, or 2017, even seventeen, I think. We're about three years in. About three years. Wow! In. So for th- so for
0: three years, and I mean, it's not something that like wouldn't. It's something that would take up a lot of your time. So, what what's the fear of um telling them about the assembly or telling them about improv? I, I really don't know. Like, I wish
1: mm. I wish I had, like, a solid answer of, like, oh, mm. well, like, they would say this and then they would think this. I don't know. Like, I guess I'm so reluctant to, like, share certain parts of myself to people because mm. not because I'm... I guess in some ways I'm worried that they'll judge me or, like, I'm also worried that they would worry about me or something mm. or think about me. I don't know. <laughs> what were
0: the things, Um, like, when you said... It was, you know, sort of a thing to make sure you were, like, good enough or you were blank enough. Like, what were the values or what were the characteristics that were um, rewarded when you were growing up?
1: Definitely, like, being smart enough. Like, that Mm -hmm. was, a big one. Mm -hmm. So, like, having good grades or, like, knowing things uh, was always good. Like, my extended family, like, everyone's very well educated. Um, Everyone, like, has this dry wit um, so mm-hmm. kind of that kind of thing.
0: hmm. And it sounds like also like self sustainability seems or like being able to take care of yourself seems like something as well because you don't want people to like worry about you.
1: Yeah, like just being like your own person, like you don't really mm-hmm. need anything from anyone. Hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. Did you feel like when you were growing up
0: that if you did need something, was it easy to ask for it? Like, hey, I mean, and maybe it's something like I need help on this on this. I don't know, homework, this project, or, like, I need a hug, I need to cry, I'm sad. Like, did you find those were easy things to say?
1: In some ways. Like, mm. um, like my mom is super, super caring and everything. Yeah. Like, like, she's kind of, like, the opposite of everyone else because she's, like, truly empathetic and everything like that. But, mm. like, showing weakness was never really a thing.
0: Mmm. I wonder how that translates into improv, you know? I mean, improv, like, I could see that maybe... It's not, I mean, anything doing in the arts is maybe not like the most financially smart thing to do, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, I get that. So, God, that's so interesting. I mean, I definitely relate to compartmentalizing myself with people. Mm -hmm. Like, it's funny because it's sort of like a joke or a running joke that my friends will say like, oh it's the birthday month of Amanda. Like she's going to have a bunch of different celebrations for her birthday. And and for, and for I always felt so s- like, oh my God, people think I'm so selfish. But really it was, it stressed me out to have a birthday where I had my high school friends, my improv friends, oh my, my God, family. Yes. I couldn't do it. And you know what? It's funny because this year when I turned 30, it was the first year where I was like, I'm inviting improv people to my birthday with my high school friends. And like, I'm not going to, run scenarios in my head of like what if this person is in an interaction with this person will it be okay and then obviously quarantine happened and my birthday was me and my partner and my dog at my house which is which was wonderful um but i can totally get that that like for me it was a sense of control that made me feel safe of i can be what i need to be for each person but i can only do that in a controlled environment where it's like just me and martha or just me and my partner just me and my high school friends because I know what they need. I can't handle everybody together. And I wonder what, why do you feel the need to compartmentalize yourself with the different people in your life or with your family and your friends?
1: I guess like exact, like when you said that, that totally, I was just like, oh my gosh, this resonates so heavily with me. Like having mm-hmm. to take care of all these different people that they need in different ways.
2: Cause mm-hmm.
1: like, I guess in some ways um, I've like my role with a group of people or a certain person is my role my identity who I am with them is based around what I've tailored my personality to fit their needs yeah so if like to me I can't remember who I was saying this to like I was talking about oh yeah okay so I was talking about how it's it's stressful to me like someone was talking about Hey, those parties – so the Assembly throws parties twice a year at the Rivoli. They are super fun, amazing, (laughs) boozy, great, whatever. And then I was telling someone about how I need, like, a two-day rest period afterwards because they are so (laughs) exhausting for me. And they're like, what are you talking about? You just get to go party. I'm like, no, I have to be someone to everyone. Like, I feel like I have to take care of all these people in different ways. So it's like the person who doesn't know everyone, it's my job to bring them in. Um, The people who want to party, it's my job to get them booze. Like – I have to strike out conversations mm. with people who are lonely, like whatever it is. So I totally like resonate with like shaping myself to to fit in the needs of everyone else and like how hard it is to do it to everyone at once. Like mm-hmm. if I'm just one person, I'm not doing that. So I have to be all these different people to different people. If that makes yeah.
0: sense. Yeah, I mean I mean, I guess what's the um what's the risk? Like what if you go to the party. It's funny that you bring that up because I totally, you were the most hospitable host at any of those parties. You're the (laughs) first one to be like, here's fireball for you. Here's this for you. Do you know this person? Like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I guess I wonder what is the worst case scenario? Like if you don't, if you don't go into those parties or any kind of social gathering and you are not what everybody needs in each of those individual, what if you just go in and you just make sure that you have a good time? What's the worst case scenario in your head?
1: I guess just, like, that people won't have fun. Yeah. Like, and I always want people to have a good time. Like, for the most part, I am having a good time. Like, yes, mm-hmm. I play all those different roles. Like, I take care of all these people to a certain extent. And then, yes, of course, I will get, like, messy drunk. Um, so, <laughs> like, that definitely happens. Yeah. Uh, but I just want everyone to have, like, a good time at all times.
0: Mm-hmm. No, totally. I-, I remember, like, I can think of so many times where if I hosted, like, Oh, hey, come over for like a movie night, whether it's three friends or whether it's like a birthday where I was or a housewarming or whatever where I was inviting more. If I made sure that I was like on guard all night and and OK, this person needs this and they need a drink and they might feel lonely. Oh, they don't know anybody here. If I do all that the next day. I feel like a relief in the sense that it's like, OK, I had fun because people had fun you know what I mean? Like part of it comes from that as well. I remember growing up and I would go out with um, like in university, go out with friends. And if I was like meeting a new group of people or whatever, if there was a person in the corner at the party who wasn't hanging out with anybody, I would go and hang out with them and talk to them. And then the next day I would be so resentful to my friends because they would have all these stories and inside jokes and they'd be telling me, they'd be including me, but I'm like, what the hell? Why don't I get to make those memories? Like, why don't, I'm stuck over here doing this because nobody else is taking the responsibility to go help this person. And it's like, mm-hmm. part of it is a little egotistical because who's to say this person really needs me, but I'm <laughs> taking it on myself to assume that they need me. Yeah. Do you no, ever think like, Ugh. it's awful. It's exhausting. And it's like, I find most with those situations, I find like, I'm not even there. I'm not present. I'm so in my head, so much of it that it's, it's not, yeah, I don't know. It's not as enjoyable. Like my, my biggest, I guess like a worst case situation. Sometimes I think of like, if I had a wedding, because you can't leave people out of a wedding, then I would, I can't not invite you so that I'm, you know, compartmentalizing people because then that would hurt their feelings but then I have to have everybody in a room
1: together that's true if if you are thinking about having a wedding um know (laughs) that I have been at weddings where it has been my job to take like to keep someone away from another person
0: Oh, isn't that like a movie so,
1: where like the divorced parents or something? I'm sure. Well, it was <laughs> someone's mom to keep them away from booze. So it was Oh, it was no. Away. Yeah. Fun
0: um, so you can have you
1: can enlist your friends to do stuff like that. So I recommend oh, that. <laughs> oh, that's such a great
0: that's such a great like a uh, a little tip. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Did your um growing up did you see your parents socialize with friends often? Yeah, like a normal amount. Yeah. I guess I wonder, like, is this, is the compartmentalizing something that you just, like, saw and then took on? Or was it something you sort of, like, taught yourself in order to achieve a result that you were like, okay, I
1: need to be this to each of these people. So this is the way I'm going to do it. Well, growing up, I also had, like, a bunch of different groups of friends. So I was, Mm -hmm. like, I had, like, my school friends. And then I also had... Um, like a group of friends from music so and they were so different so I think that maybe that started it so like my school friends were all like kind of I guess cool and normal and then my music friends were kind of nerdy but I like <laughs> I love them both so equally but it's like mm-hmm. I knew that if they ever got together it wouldn't work mm. and I was such different people around both of
0: them yeah like I I'm thinking like well why can't Martha be cool and nerdy
1: I guess it's not like that when you're like 12. Yeah, I know, eh?
0: It's true. Yeah. Fucking labels when you're 12 mess you up forever, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Do you think you would ever tell your family about the assembly
1: or would ever w- want to, I guess? So initially I was like, okay, I'll tell them when it's successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then my, my target of successful just keeps changing. Well, I was going to say, like, what, what does it mean to be successful? I'm that kind of person where I'm like, I'll set a goal for something and I'll like set my sights on it. And I'll be like, when this happens, everything will be okay. And then I'll get mm-hmm. there and I'll be like, oh, this was nothing. It's actually this further thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I actually think that's like a natural, um, like mechanism in your brain for people who like to set goals and want to achieve things and want to better yourself. You know, I, I actually have to think about that so often of like, Because as you're achieving things, your goals are changing. And so what you wanted a year ago, you might have now, but you don't want it anymore because you have it. And so you have to keep reminding yourself like, hey, remember when I wanted to start a school that had classes that filled up? That's happening now. But of course, as it happens, you have a new goal. So I think it's just like a natural part of being ambitious. Yeah. I don't know how you ever feel fulfilled then, though. And not you. I That's mean, you archer. in general. Yeah, yeah. What are what's like the last moment you remember feeling like fulfilled or like proud of yourself? Like, fuck yeah, I fucking did it.
1: That's a really good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have this list of like goals. Uh, when we the assembly first rolled out their sketch um, Mm -hmm. program. So it's like, okay, I want to get this person for a workshop, this person for a workshop, this person for a workshop, and then sell them all out. And then we did it. And like, for a moment I was like, good job. But then I was like, okay, on to the next thing. Oh
0: yeah, totally. I like, you know, there's gotta be some, I feel like I have to set for myself, like when I achieve something, here is the rule book of like, you have to take an hour where you go like, Pop champagne or you you know there has to be like a minimum amount of time of celebrating before you move on to the next thing because I do the same thing. like even oh my God, anything any project I've worked on like when I finally like post the first episode of this podcast or like post the first episode of a show that I'm making or whatever, as soon as I post it, I'm like, okay, on to the next episode, edit the next episode And it's like, hey, maybe I should stop and celebrate.
1: Yeah I, I feel like that's such a hard thing to do because I'll always like find reasons I'm like oh but this wasn't real because or like this well, it does that really ca-? I mean you got help from this person or like mm-hmm. yeah but this was a smaller class or something you know so I'll yeah. always like find a way to to like minimize it. What are your like go to
0: minimizing lines that you say to yourself like what are the most common ones?
1: Um, if, if someone else helps me, I'll be like, well, actually the only reason like this went well is because like Peter Stomach made an awesome poster. So if he hadn't have done that, everyone would hate me (laughs) or like everyone Mm. would hate
2: this,
1: um, or, or like making like, well, you know, everyone signs up for this in fall or something like that.
0: It's so much operating from a place of like, well, I'm not good enough. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I just, oh my God, like from, again, outside, I'm putting this on you completely, but I'm like, oh my God, I think you are so much of so many things that it's, it's wild to me to hear that you would think. Like, oh my God, I don't think I'm enough. I think like people are selling out in your classes because they're fucking awesome. Or people are, you know, yeah, signing up for Sketch because there's a need and you followed that instinct and you were smart enough to be like, and strategic enough to be like, oh, hey, we wanted to roll this out. This is a perfect time. This is what people need. I'm going to roll this out, you know? Mm -hmm. I guess it's hard to... It is hard to pat ourselves on the back. And I, you know, I wonder also like there i think everybody has these certain things that they're like chasing when they're a kid that then they sort of chase in perpetuity perpetuity what's that word Mm -hmm. (laughs) why can't i speak perpetuity in perpetuity with my white claw um yeah i think these are i think there are certain things that like everybody i guess starts chasing when they're a kid and then yeah just as they grow up chases forever and Like if yours is being good enough or smart enough, I wonder like what happens when you achieve good enough or smart enough? Like maybe that's almost too scary for our brains to ever achieve what we really want. Maybe I'm getting way too philosophical with White Claw, but like that's a thought of like if I always want to be, because I always want to be good enough, kind enough, and interesting enough. So what Mm -hmm. happens if tomorrow I wake up and I am good enough, kind enough, and interesting enough? Like then what? What happens if you wake up tomorrow and you are smart enough and good enough in your family's eyes and your eyes and everybody's eyes? It's
1: like, I guess, then what? Yeah, I mean, like, that's the hard thing. It's like, yes, it's problematic to always or or never feel like, uh, like whatever you're doing is worth celebrating, that you've hit the goal, that you're doing the right thing. But at the same time, like, what a great motivator. Like, I'm yeah, always true. chasing the next thing, looking for you know, the thing where I'm like, okay, now I've done enough. I will never Mm. find it. I know I will never be like in, in my brain, you know, I'll, I'll never be good enough. I'll never be smart enough. I'll never be whatever enough. So like, what a great motivator to keep me reaching for that next thing.
0: Mm. God, again, like you're so much better at me finding balance because (laughs) totally like I didn't, because I think, and I guess, I think there is a healthy balance of like, where are you on the scale of, oh my God, I'm not enough. I'm a piece of shit. And I am totally enough. I don't need to ever do anything again. You know, there is that sweet spot of like, okay, I'm going to keep working to be enough. I am enough right now, but I'm going to keep working to be better. And just finding that healthy sweet spot for you of like, because you're right. So many of these things th- that I'm chasing motivate me to do so many things that I'm so proud of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I think the good balance is, like, not beating yourself up over, like, like, like with these goals of, like, sell, selling out of class or whatever the, the recent goal is, mm-hmm. um, like, not beating myself up if it doesn't go well or, like, freaking out or something, but instead, like, using it, being like, okay, how, what am I going to do differently next time? What did I learn from this? Um, mm-hmm. And then using it as, as a, well, if I did one this time, then next time I'll do two or whatever mm-hmm. that is. I think it can become toxic when it's, like, I'm shitty, I'm an awful person, everyone hates this, I've done nothing. Like, when you fall into that spiral of, like, self-talk.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: think I think it's important to stay away from that.
0: Yeah, so, I, guess, I guess, like, keeping it as a motivator rather than um, – it's almost like keeping it as a coach for yourself and a motivator rather than, like, a shit-talker and a bully. Like, mm-hmm. what – how are you giving the power to this thing of being – smart enough or good enough um that's actually yeah that's a really I love that way of of thinking about it that you said of like figuring out a healthy way to do it because I think that's the thing too is I find something in myself that I don't like and then I'm like all right how do I just throw that out and (laughs) like get that out of here and it's so fun my therapist will say all the time like a lot of these things are great traits you're just you've you know you've just like started using them in ways that aren't helpful but it's a good tool like keep the tool just relearn the habit and i have mm-hmm. to i have to keep like reminding myself of that um okay well um in closing i would love to ask you um it might be kind of a tough question but i'm going to ask you for a little exercise um okay so i have a really hard time um, prioritizing things in my life and like figuring out what my how my priorities stack up so I was wondering um of these things if you could list how you prioritize them in your life okay this might be weird I don't know let's try this I don't know I haven't asked anybody this but I thought about it for you because I was like I I really I really identify with um it seems like you have a lot of things in your life that are different and that are very important to you Mm -hmm. and I really um identify with that and that really resonates with me and I often have a hard time like juggling and prioritizing them so um okay so of your relationship friends and family I'm putting those all together I okay. am in no way gonna be like do you like your mom or Paul like no I'm <laughs> that's awful yeah <laughs> we just hang up I'm like Martha are you here um so relationship friends and family and the second one would be um running the assembly school your third one will be being a performer. Your fourth one will be making money. And your fifth one will be yourself.
1: Oh my gosh, these are such good things. So first, I would probably put relationship, friends, family. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, if someone was sick or whatever the case was, nothing else would matter. Mm. Um, gosh. Can we, you know what, I'm going to be... Uh, An awful person say making money next do it you're not that's not awful why does that feel awful uh it's like one of those things that I would think but not say but I'm just gonna say it (laughs) Uh, thank can I also say thank you
0: because that's like a huge (laughs) gift to decide to do and I also think at least in for me I like need more I just feel like we need more people especially we need more women to just Say that that's important to them if it's important to them. And maybe that's selfish because it's important to me and I don't say it. And maybe I just need help with from other people. But making money is important, especially as an artist. It's like you deserve to make money. You deserve yeah. to want to pay your bills. Okay. Sorry.
1: And then next I would probably put, um, probably put running the assembly next. Mm. Then myself, then performer. Oh, I love. And I and know when myself you... is low on the list, but that's just because <laughs> I love money and other people so much. <laughs> I just
0: love money that, well, and I was going to ask, um, when you think of yourself, what are the things that are included in that? What What encompasses that? So when you, when you listed those things, mm-hmm.
1: this is what I pictured. So what would come first if the options were, my mom is sick, I got to go to my day job or, like, there's an emergency at my day job, I gotta go. Um, there's an emergency at the assembly, I gotta go. M- myself would be taking a bubble bath, and Performer would be, like, being on stage. So, of all those <laughs> things, I feel like, yes, taking a bu- bubble bath would be nice. But, and I put Performer last because, you know what? I have canceled shows to take a bubble bath, so. Mm. Oh, I love that. Oh, my gosh. Martha
0: but, I, like, never canceled, detailed, like, teaching a class or going to work to take a bath. Mm-hmm well yeah because it sounds like you're like i have a responsibility towards others and i care about them yeah wow i feel like i got to know you so much more
1: martha it's so nice yeah what a fun (laughs) conversation thank you so much for having me oh my god thank you
0: you so much for listening to this episode of the liquid courage podcast if you liked what you heard please help me out by leaving a rating or a comment on your apple podcast app or on youtube or wherever you might be listening from and if you're like me and you have an awful memory or you just don't want to have to remember when the next episode comes out hit that subscribe button and the newest episode will automatically download for you just like magic I love it. (laughs) You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at liquid courage podcast. And if you're still listening, I wanna remind you that a pandemic is still taking place. And I don't say that to be a buzzkill or to scare you, but to ask you to please, please continue or start wearing your mask when you're out of your house and around other people. We should be treating people how we want to be treated. And if you wanna be safe and healthy, Respect the health and safety of the people around you. Please. Thanks again for listening. It means the world to me. Stay safe and take care.